0: This is Fundraising Radio and today's guest speaker, we have Mark Rosner, founder and CEO at Applied Revenue LLC and ex-chief revenue officer at Aplavin. He was at Aplavin from the very beginning and the company now, I think, raised over $1.4 billion. So in this episode, we're going to talk about investments of Mark and how revenue works. How can you bring your company from zero to multiple billion in revenue? So Mark, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Applied Revenue, LLC.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Constantine, for having me. Uh, excited to, to be on the show over here and excited to talk about uh, some of the things that we're going to cover today. So, uh, yeah, my background, I've uh, been an operator um, until about, I'd say, until about a year ago. So I was an operator for, for quite a while in the tech space. Originally ran a company called Zedge, uh, which was mobile phone personalization was very successful at the time still is a very successful company um, Grew that to uh, 45 or 50 million monthly unique visitors left that in in 2011 um, Took some time off and then joined a company that you mentioned the company called Apple in um, early uh, So it was on the founding team not a founder at the company, but on the founding team and uh you know was fortunate enough to to join that uh pre-revenue post-product pre-revenue and, and take that from uh zero in revenues to uh, north of a billion in revenues by the time i left in uh in, in early 2019 and it was it was quite a ride a lot of fun we built we built a great business and uh so took some time off after that just you know, when you when you build uh, a a billion dollar business like that, which is global um, clients all over the world, and and you scale quickly, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's an intense, wild ride, and, and sometimes you know you want to try to do something new after that and take some time off also. So I did both of that, and mm-hmm. took some time off, and then I decided to do something new, and you know, started a seed fund and, and started investing uh, with applied revenue, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's been great. Uh, you know, we we invest into pre-seed and seed companies uh, and you know we can talk a little bit more about that as well uh, but that's sort of the you know my my uh
0: quick background absolutely that's an epic background to be quite honest i'm really impressed especially with the applause it's just like i figured it out right before the interview and i'm like sitting here wait should i go deeper into this or should i just focus on the investment side and you know what the the, the podcast is called fundraising radio so let's First, talk about your personal investments activity right now. So, uh, what do you invest in uh, through Applied Revenue?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we you know we can talk about both. It's fine. It's it's all sort of tied into each other, also. And so, um, the the types of companies that I invest into um, tend to be the types of companies that I that I think can can turn into billion dollar businesses. So, um, you know, definitely investing in founders and in teams and in technology that I think um, can can go on and, you know, provide uh, build something really big. And, and the idea is if you're building something really, really big, then, you know, you're building something that's meaningful and impactful in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's really what, what I'm trying to do um, with my seed investing. So, you know, the, the idea is, is, take, is take some of this capital and, and you know, impact investing and uh, and you know uh, very much uh, replicate some of the experience that I've had and, and help mentor and and grow some of these businesses. Um, I don't get involved personally in any of these businesses. It's more of a, it's more of a a mentor type relationship mm-hmm. where you know founder may have questions and may you know want to ask. Hey, what do we do in this situation? What do we do in this situation? I've been through a lot of. Of these different situations, and so you know, usually I'm able to provide some color, or at least a framework on on, on how to on, on how to advance. Um, but yeah, generally I'm looking for for you know founders and, and teams that, that that are that are doing something either early or that they have, generally speaking, that they have some sort of customer or revenue traction. It could be really early, but at least they have something. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be quite you know, product market fit. Uh, but but it should be something where, where there's actually something tangible to, uh, to sort of look at or, or analyze
0: or, or understand, basically. Right. So as you said, we're definitely going to touch on to app love. And definitely, we'll talk about that. But first part is going to be certainly about applied revenue and how you invest personally. So uh, first things first, how do you source your deals? How do you find those inve- uh, those uh, ventures that you think are going to turn into $1 billion companies.
1: Yeah. You know, I had the same question before I started and, and I, and I always was like, how, how do, how do people do <laughs> that? Um, yeah. You know, how do they sort of, sort of, you know, get into this world and, and understand it. And I think it's very much, uh, it's, it's very much, uh, networking. Um, it's very much, um, of proving yourself valuable to people um, and and helpful to people, um, both in you know I like can you can call it deal sourcing, but you can also call it just an actually like an, an actual business guidance. So like you know just just having a conversation with a founder, um, having conversation with other investors and and just being helpful in terms of how, you know, let's say I think about things and how I think about growth and how I think about businesses. Um, and, and so, so it's, it's, uh, there, there are just, some, I'm finding that there are you know, a bunch of, uh, just, you know, you call them angel networks or early stage investors. Um, and then, you know, the other piece of it is that, um, there are a lot of institutional investors out there, um, early mm-hmm. stage institutional investors. And so, uh, you know, we, we haven't spoken about it, my, my check size is, is generally a hundred thousand dollars and so you know where it's all about where do you fit into the ecosystem and so uh, you know, are you leading rounds? Are you sitting behind the lead investor? Um, are you sort of bringing, let's say, multiple investors, and and sort of maybe having four or five, you know, in a, in a five hundred thousand dollar round or something like that um, in a pre-seed round. So, so I think like there there are definitely different places that different investors slot into um, into a round, and mm-hmm. so it's all about um, finding you know, the, the place where, where you, where you, where you're most
0: comfortable and you can provide the most value, um, for, for, uh, for founders and for companies. Absolutely. So you mentioned that a lot of, your, uh, um, sourcing process is actually gone through networking and I think it's the same for most of investors and it's basically the same for me, but, uh, for example, my network is mostly located in LA, San Francisco and New York. So I assume most people have kind of the same thing. They're based in the sea. Their network is the biggest in that sea. And then like a couple, uh, you know, tech hubs like San Francisco is a standard one. So do you invest just locally? So do you invest only in New York or do you invest basically throughout the whole uh, U.S.?
1: Uh, definitely um,
0: throughout, throughout the whole U.S., um, potentially
1: in in other countries. I've done one deal in Israel. Um, you know, would would potentially look at at other countries as well. I, I never rule that out entirely, but but usually feel more comfortable um, investing in, in the United States. Um, and yeah, I think like naturally, um, most of the companies I see are on the coasts, um, but I do see a fair number of companies in the middle of the country as well. Um, so it's not like I'm, I'm not seeing any companies in the middle of the country, but but definitely like the majority of them are on the coast. Mm-hmm. I think you're sort of seeing like a weird thing right now with what's happening with with with, uh, with COVID, you know, with the corona, uh, with the pandemic, uh, which is, is that like everybody has sort of, and, and especially for early stage companies, a lot of people have fled the cities. I'm still in the city. <laughs> Um, But a lot of people have (laughs) sort of like either gone back to like, you know, their family home or like, you know, gone somewhere else. So everybody's working remotely and it's almost like the world just got very flat. Like it got very flat very quickly um, to, to the point where right now it actually doesn't matter where you are. Um, very difficult to say what that looks like, let's say six months from now, but like literally like right now, when you're talking with a founder, it's like, well, you know, wherever you are, it almost doesn't matter because it's, it's, it, there's, there's no advantage um, to, to being in the city anymore. You know, the physical presence, the ability to, to meet with multiple investors or multiple, you know, talent, um, hiring, all that stuff that, that you get as an advantage inside a populous city,
0: um, you don't have that anymore. Right, right. So I want here to talk a little bit about what you said earlier, and you said that you're really looking for companies that have a potential to turn into something like billion-dollar companies. What do you think are the main indicators that the company has this potential? What, what are you looking for in the company?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so I think like, um, you know, sort of like the, the, the first thing is, um, and this is like the baseline, like, is the market actually big enough um, or will the market be big enough? Right? Like, is it, is it small, but it's growing like super fast or is it like just a really big market? Um, that's sort of like your baseline, like if the, if the market's not not large, like it's going to be challenging to to build uh, to build a large company. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to when it comes to the team, it's just um, its speed. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like I, I, I guess it's really like so many different factors. Um, but, but you definitely get a sense of, you know, for, for people and teams that you think are going to be able to execute, um, in a, in a market. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the, the large market is sort of the large, either existing or potential market is sort of a baseline
0: factor when you're, when you're looking at these things. Got it. So are there any specific things that you're looking on the pitch deck? I know like, uh, partnerships or, uh. Some specific, I don't know, word that just triggers you, and you're like, okay, that's that's the company I want to invest in. What do you think are the three um, points that you just have to include in the pitch deck?
1: Yeah, so so I'm not sure if I know three specifically, but I, but I'll tell you, like, when when looking at a pitch deck, there, I think there are some some very important things um, to to you know that, that I'm looking for specifically, mm-hmm. which is one, you know, I want a a very um, specific idea of what you know, this, this product or service is, um, wh- you know, who, who are you serving? Um, and, and just where, where are you today? Like, you know, what do the numbers look like today? And what will mm-hmm. the numbers look like over the course of the next few years? Uh, and then, you know, it, it doesn't have to be super detailed inside a deck, but sort of like it is important to have in, at least in follow up material, um, to be able to like, you know, very clearly explain, um, why you believe this is what you're going to achieve right you know what's your vision um what do you what do you think this business becomes and just be very and and sort of like you know know these numbers know the numbers backwards and forwards i think the it's definitely a critical piece um, for any founder that they they know exactly what their business model looks like or what they you know what they expect it to look like they Mm -hmm. understand it really well they understand like what the levers of their business are um, to actually
0: grow it and grow fast right that's great advice and here i want to slowly shift towards something that everyone is discussing and i'm not a dummy so i will discuss that as well uh let's talk about investing during coronavirus are you still investing or looking for opportunities Yeah, so I, you know,
1: I just, uh, I just actually made my first uh, post, uh, uh, you know, post Corona uh, uh, commitment uh, Mm -hmm. yesterday. Oh, and so yeah, absolutely still still out there looking, Um, I think, you know, what what we saw and and this went for me and and really, I think went for for a lot of people and, and for founders as well. Um, you know, there was most probably a few week period where it was really, really difficult to to assess. Like, you know, what does the world look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what's going to happen? Right? And and it's not that. You know people are are negative or, or you know pessimistic about about you know the future I think people are very optimistic about the future but you know as an investor and as a founder um, you know running and, and trying to build a company you 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 need some sort of stability um, you know the stability that you're building off of and the problem with with, uh, with the coronavirus is that is that people don't really know that much about it nobody knows that much about it nobody mm-hmm. in the world it's still early, but like every day, there's a little bit more information. There's a, there's another study. There's <clears throat> there's you know more facts on the ground, and you know more information being shared over here in the United States and and amongst other countries, and so so with every passing day, there's more there's a little bit more certainty, or at least a little bit more a little bit more certainty about what the future looks like, even though the future is still unclear. Um, But there are most probably certain trends that, you know, we can extrapolate and say, hey, here's maybe where things go and have like a better idea and a a better feeling for for what that looks like there. Um, you know, there's only a few week period where I was still looking at companies, but it was very difficult to make any sort of valid assessment and say, Well, yeah, th- this is what the world is going to look like. And that's why I think this is, you know, th- and, and also, yes, this is a good, this is a good business investment. into. Mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, we need this baseline to come back, which I think we're at now, right. So so I think uh, over the last few weeks, we, you know, we, we, we have Enough information to say that, you know, the, there will likely be some instability in the mar- you know, in, in the world, um, even for the next like year, right? And, and, and there's going to be a new normal. It's not going to be the old normal. It's going to be a new normal. We don't know. We still don't know exactly what that looks like. But I think, you know, it, everybody's a little bit more comfortable predicting or, or at least investing around
0: the uncertainty in areas where they are more certain absolutely right in the turn times people are looking for certainty uh that's right so uh what do you think are the the expectations of course have changed from the perspective of an investor so pre coronavirus versus after corona post coronavirus what do you think are the expectations now of the investors what do you want what do they want to see in the company or what sort of change do they want to see after the pandemic strike yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean it's a whole new lens. So like
0: mm-hmm. uh I think the idea of
1: you know, the idea that, you know, there there would be you no know, sporting events or that, you know, large events would be cancelled, the idea that, you know, um eating in restaurants is, is a challenge, the idea that um anything physical is is probably you know, is, is in a way potentially a health concern. Um you doing anything in person. Um that lens I don't think was really there. Um, you know, was really there uh, before, before this, you know, before coronavirus struck. So uh, where we are, you know, where I think we are now is that is that it's safer to invest into businesses that don't rely on physical, um, physical services. Um, it's it doesn't mean that those businesses are not great investments and they might be, and there are a lot of those companies that are trying to get funded. But if you but if you're looking at a scale, I would say like, if you're looking at a scale and and of risk, um, so, so as you move further away from physical and more into, um, pure software, um, you know, you, you, you move, you, at least you dial down the risk factor on, on what does the Physical, um, you know, uh, the risk factor of, of, of the health concern, because it's still unknown as to how this, uh, uh, you know, evolves and over the next, I'd say, like six to twelve months, is there a vaccine? Is there a vaccine that works? Are there therapeutic treatments? There are still a lot of questions out there, and I don't think all these questions will be answered. You know, will they be a reoccurrence in the fall? And will like a lot of states and governors? Um, and around the world as well, like, well, a lot of governments, um, lock down, um, you know, countries again, mm-hmm. yep. uh, it's, it's, a lot of this stuff is still somewhat unclear. So, so as an investor, when you, when you're, when you're, um, you, you know, you're looking at that risk factors so like software and then of course, yes, supporting, um, like, so, so when you look at in the software, well, okay, supporting, you know, maybe, um, education, maybe, you know, remote workers, which was always a trend, but obviously is accelerated. Now, uh, you know, telemedicine, telehealth, I think there's there's a lot of acceleration happening that was going to happen anyhow, but but it's happened just very, very quickly right now. And it may not have happened anyhow, but like, but but it, it, it feels like there's, there's been a lot of acceleration around this type of stuff. Um, but, but also a challenge, by the way, between like differentiating between signal and noise. So, so what I mean by that is, is that everybody's at home right now, you know, everybody's Mm -hmm. working from home, but in three months from now, everybody's not going to be working from home. There'll be a certain percentage, but the question is, okay, well, off the baseline, let's say that existed pre-corona, well, what's the new baseline is the new baseline, you know, uh, ten percent higher, is in the baseline fifty percent higher. Is the, it? it is it's still sort of unclear. Everyone can agree that it's gonna be higher, but but nobody quite knows like what what you know how much higher uh, right. for
0: all these things. So, so absolutely. Uncertain times, fun times, kind of scary times as well. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and are, and, uh,
1: so, so I will just add to that like yeah, there yeah. are opportunities. There are a lot of opportunities in so 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 for um where 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 a startup does rely on you know maybe let's say restaurants or you know servicing restaurants or servicing businesses that are you know small business that are actually you know that 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 are service oriented businesses where people need to be their person um, there are opportunities because the reality is is that is that you know if you look a few years out um a few years out i think we all expect that that things are are again not quite the same but but that the economy will be uh equally as strong as it was hopefully um you know these businesses will be thriving there'll be a lot of businesses that are thriving and even if you're a physical business you're going to be doing great so so i think like there are a lot of opportunities um where and most probably more depressed valuations um, for those types of businesses or, or or even software companies that are servicing those types of businesses and so there are opportunities um if you have a if you have a long horizon um and and willing to accept a little bit more risk to service uh, or to fund some of those types of businesses as well
0: absolutely yeah the, the thing that I'm afraid most is that uh, during this pandemic time we work is just gonna go bankrupt and I will have no place to return to because my office is at, at WeWork. I'm like, dude, come on, I just got used to this. So yeah. I hope it, it's not going to happen and they're going to recover successfully. But here, let's move on to something more positive, something that proved to work out. Let's talk about Uplavin and your work at it. So were you actually part of fundraising uh, efforts that, that the team made?
1: Uh, yes, yes. So, so I, I, I was part of the fundraising efforts. I was not on the front lines of the fundraising efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, was was on the uh, was behind behind the lines of, on, on the fundraising efforts. So I can't give you uh, any any you know sort of I'd say like direct information over there.
0: <laughs> it's totally fine, you know. So let's let's then talk not about fundraising but about revenue in general. So what's yeah. the main purpose of chief revenue officer? And and yeah. which stage yeah. should a company hire a chief revenue officer? Yeah,
1: a- absolutely. So so I think um, you uh, what was it, you were So so in, in the context of in the context of, uh, of uh, a company that was uh, serving mobile advertising, it's uh, it's the idea of you know relationships with advertisers, relationships with with your supply, which are publishers mm-hmm. in this case, and then handling you know, advertiser operations, publisher operations, um, you know, also basically, you know, the the revenue, uh, the revenue of the business, um, I think, you know, on a, on a, on a, from a broader perspective, it's, it's, it's very much about um, figuring out how, uh, how do you maximize and, and also optimize the, the the revenue and the growth of, of any, any given business. And so, um, you know, when we talk about like when I talk about like, hey, uh, what should businesses be looking to do? How, how should businesses grow? And I, and I think founders need to find the areas that scale um, like good founding teams, good founders will and, and, and just existing businesses will, you know, finding the the levers for growth. Um, and finding the levers to really accelerate growth are are the key and when you find that you sort of press down on that and focus on Mm -hmm. it Um, and you know that that intense focus that every startup needs to actually you know go from zero to a hundred basically
0: that's awesome so uh you joined the company pre-revenue right so what and a lot of my speakers are actually early stage founders, so they have never really done this before. So what do you think? What would be your advice to those people who are pre revenue right now, but want to actually start making money?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your best funding um, is actually customer revenue. So um, it's your cheapest form of funding and, and your best because it, you're you're creating value over there. You're creating value for your customers if they're willing to pay you. Um, so. I'd say yeah, just uh, you, you, uh, f- uh, find the business model that works for you that can act, that's actually scalable and like go out there and, and do that. I think uh, you know the other thing that, that investors love to see they love to see founders that actually figure out how to drive revenue and, and founders that 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 um, sort of uh, that that can maximize a dollar right. So like how much revenue can you drive for? Um, for, for every dollar that, that you're burning. And, and, you know, typically you are burning cash in, in the early stages of a company. So mm-hmm. how much revenue can you drive for those dollars that you're burning? And that that's definitely a key indicator of how efficient you're going to be, uh, meaning how many people do you have to hire or not hire? How do you lean on technology versus people um, in
0: scaling a startup? That's key as well. So those are sort of Got a couple of things. So, yeah where do you think they should start this journey of finding revenue so what should they research and uh, where Where should they seek for customers so let's take an example as a business to business model where where should they start just basic yeah i mean uh if if uh, it, it's it's
1: uh it's it's gaining customers and then seeing if they're willing to pay for you willing to pay for it let's say it's a b2b business so so you're you're You know this is this is very general but um in the beginning certainly bring on customers get product feedback uh you know iterate on that product but at a certain point make sure that you're starting to charge um, for that product and and see if you can actually if you can actually get paid for the product if you're able to get paid for it then you know you have something if you're able to scale that to more and more customers and you know you have something that, then, then you might have something that that's that's really good um, and you know once you're doing that yeah if if you're pre if you're pre-funding um, that's a great signal for an investor when they look and say hey mm-hmm. and yeah, this this founder knows how to how to build a business right um, absolutely you know it's not not necessarily pine. This guy is actually is actually a business over here. There's a business model that works, um, and you know they might need capital to go out and hire you know a few people, um, and and you know maybe scale uh, the architecture, you know stuff like that. Uh, but but actually has has a business and a business model that
0: that, that works. Um, that's a great great
1: indicator for for an investor.
0: Right. Yeah. That's definitely true. I've heard that from many investors. So. I assume this is right. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully this yeah. is right. Uh, but let's here move on to our last question. What do you think should be the first three steps the founder should make to get the first check from an investor?
1: Yeah, so so I think, uh, I, I think it's a lot of what we discussed. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess if we're being specific over here, um, you're you, you've got um, you've got a model that works or, or a model that that you can convince somebody that's going to work you have a deck um, an investor deck super important um, and the reason why it's important is that you can sort of talk about your vision all day and maybe even write it down but the, the deck is 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 a way to um, to sort of crystallize that um, and make sure that you're able to communicate with with an investor. and like you know as, as an investor, I think it's really important that that a founder can put that down. A team could put you know the, the founders can can put that together and and effectively communicate. And then, I think the you know the the third thing is uh, is actually uh, the sales skills um, is actually like super important for founders um, for good founders um, because you're always selling you're selling to your mm-hmm. employees not in a bad way in a good way you know you're selling to the people that you hire you're selling to your investors you're selling to your customers you're selling to everybody and so strong sales skills are actually super important for for um, for a, a founder to a founders to, to be successful there are cases where they're not but i'd say on the whole
0: sales skills are definitely um helpful i actually totally agree with you on that uh, i myself tried to polish my sales skills multiple times and i even tried to get into the uh some sales agency that would force me to make uh, like 100 calls yeah. during the day because i had like Horrible fear of calls, and and I nearly got the job. And then the guy was like, "Wait, uh, what's that accent?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm Russian." And he's like, "Oh, sorry, we can't, we just can't do this." You know, people don't like Russian accents. I'm like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what the well, hell was yeah, that?" It depends what you're selling, right? So you got, <laughs> I guess you got
1: to sell the right thing. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't actually, the issue with
0: that exactly. Part. I had an experience with sales with my Russian accent. You know, back in the days, it was much worse than what you hear right now, and. People actually loved it because they're like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, from Russia, blah, blah, blah. That's just a point of contact. So I don't know. I think the guy was just, you know, he just didn't like me, probably. Or he didn't like Russians, whatever. But here, I actually want to ask you one last question, and then we'll wrap it up. So I want to get really, really specific and just do some, like, call to action in this episode. So uh, people who are listening to this right now, when the episode is done... Uh, what should they do specifically if they have a company or if they think of starting a company? What should be the thing that they should do right now? I know, open their LinkedIn Absolutely. and text their friends or text an investor they might know or so. What is it? I mean, go out and get a customer. Uh, you know, and get get two customers. Also,
1: get <laughs> get users. Get, get that's it. That, that's what you need to do. I mean, you need people using your product and. And, and your, or your service, whatever it is. Go out there and do
0: that. Absolutely. And now is the time. I'll try to publish this episode in the morning. So if someone leases it, hopefully it's going to happen in the morning so they have the whole day long to do that. But we'll <laughs> wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Mark, for coming up, for sharing your experience, both as a, a revenue, chief revenue officer of Applovin and as an investor. Really great, great insights. Loved it. Absolutely. Thanks, Constantine. Thanks for having me. I, it, it was uh, was uh,
1: was fun to do this. Also, happy to hear that. Huh?